Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next Chaos Crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I'm Dr. Colleen Mullen, and you are listening to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, bringing you what you need to succeed. I'm hoping that over the time that we're doing this podcast, this becomes a place for you to come for resources on all sorts of topics that can help empower you to live a more successful life. We launch new episodes every Tuesday, along with an article on priceofbusiness.com. The article will give you education and resources on the week's topic, and today is no exception. Before we get to today's topic, though, I want to share with you about a great free offering I'm going to give you for joining me on the podcast. I just launched my ebook, Five Ways. It's 100 Tips for Living a Happier and Healthier Life. You can find it on Amazon. My offer to you, though, is that if you go to my website, coachingthroughchaos.com, and sign up for my mailing list before July 4th, you'll be sent a link to a free download of the book. The book is comprised of 20 lists of five ways to do all sorts of things, including finding the job that you want, quitting smoking, have better sex, be more community-minded, and have more energy. You know, it's worth the download if you're thinking about quitting smoking or you're looking for a new job just for those things. I'm excited to share it with you, and I'm glad that you can get it for free. Don't forget to do that before July 4th. All right, so we're going to get into today's topic. Do you know someone who is perfectionistic, wants people to like them, bends over backwards for others, can deny problems in their life, and is fiercely loyal? I bet that you do. You know, it's pretty common behavior. And if you're like me, maybe you even recognize yourself in that description. That cluster of behavior essentially is what makes up the well-known term of codependency. That's our topic for today. My guest expert is Darlene Lancer, who is a therapist and author focused on helping people change their codependent ways. Before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the history of codependency, what it is and what it is not, what makes it different from just being a good person, and what a person can do to help themselves if they find that they might be codependent. If you're into self-help at all, you've probably heard the term codependency. It's often talked about in terms of one having a codependent personality. So I want to be clear that codependency is not even a diagnosable condition, let alone a personality disorder. It has, though, been talked about it in those terms for decades, so it can be really confusing to people when they hear that term thrown around. You may also be familiar with the term, but might be unsure of a clear definition of it, and that's because there really isn't one universal definition of codependency. What there is, is a consensus that there is a cluster of behaviors in relationships which can be somewhat easily identified and are almost always problematic, and we're going to get to that list in a second. The history of the term dates back to Karen Horney in the 1940s and with Alcoholics Anonymous in the 1950s. 
Primarily, it was identified in studying the behavior of an alcoholic within the context of their family experience. It was initially interchanged with the term enabling to kind of put some responsibility on the family system for the alcoholic's behavior. The behaviors identified as codependent appeared to be patterns in those families. The use of the term, though, seemed to explode a few decades later in the 1980s, and it may have been born out of the advent of family system psychology becoming very popular in the 70s. So in the 80s, people began really studying family dynamics and, in particular, alcoholic families. And so there were several books that covered the topic of codependency. The most famous book out of that time period, and is still used as a reference today, is Melody Beattie's Codependent No More. During that time, everyone started studying the families of alcoholics and saw these behaviors, but as the clusters of behaviors became more recognizable to therapists, so did the fact that so many other people exhibited the same behavior patterns who did not come from alcoholic families. So the term is now popularly used to describe a recognizable pattern of maladaptive behaviors and relationships. Some of the key characteristics of a codependent person are low self-esteem, They have poor boundaries with others, meaning that they don't say no very frequently. They can be controlling in nature, and denial is definitely associated with codependency, and especially in persons who are in relationships with addicts, they can usually deny the problems that are going on around them. But the cornerstone behavioral uh, symptoms, we'll call them, are people-pleasing, caretaking, and reactivity. Those don't sound too bad right off the bat. And when we think about a person exhibiting these, we have to also think about the cultural context in which they live. There are definitely cultures in which a female in the family is fiercely loyal, only wants to see the good in others in their family, would never accept help from anyone, and appears so dependent on their family, you would think that they would break without them. In some cultures, though, that's grandma. So after ruling out cultural context, if you're relating to this, you're probably curious, what's the difference between just being a good, caring person and being a codependent person? All right, well, you'll feel differently. If you're a codependent, you will most likely feel emotionally empty-handed in relationships, whether that's with friends or with your intimate partners, and you'll feel resentful over time. It's because you do things for others at the sake of your own needs. So you're always giving to others, always doing for others, whether you're getting anything back in return or not. And in the beginning, it can feel like your motivations are altruistic. But over time, they're really about having identity and being liked and getting approval from others. That'll happen. People will think that you're a nice person. But you're going to feel like, ah, but I don't really feel like people really care for me because people aren't making the same effort that I'm making into these relationships. One of the key constructs that I see is this resentment that happens. So when someone comes into my office for therapy, they might present and say, I just want to learn how to have healthier relationships. But when we start exploring their past relationships, if they start describing a pattern of resentfulness at the end of their relationships, I'll definitely explore with them more and ask more questions to draw out the difference between, you know, was there an actual argument or was this a long-term pattern of some codependent interaction that led them to be resentful at the end of their relationships? So what can you do if you think you might be codependent? Well, the good news is, since it is not an actual personality disorder, your behavior certainly can change. There are a lot of self-help resources out there for you, including peer-run groups such as Al-Anon or CODA, which means Codependence Anonymous. 
So Al-Anon was designed for people who love an addict. And CODA doesn't have that base criteria, but they are also a 12-step program designed to help a person have healthier relationships. So some of the things that people work on in healing from codependent patterns in their relationships is learning how to be more assertive. They learn how to say no more and set boundaries with others. They also learn how to decrease their reactivity and learn to gauge what an appropriate reaction to a stressor is. And then very importantly, they learn how to ask for help so that they don't always find themselves in the martyr position in the relationships in the future. So if you're trying the self-help route and are still having difficulty changing the patterns in your relationships that you want to change, seeking therapy with someone who specializes in codependency can be well worth the investment in yourself. And that gets us to our guest today. When we get back, we'll be talking with Darlene Lancer. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist in Santa Monica, California, who has dedicated her life's work to helping people heal from codependent relationship patterns. She's going to share with you her motivations for her work. She's going to share her take on codependency and all sorts of resources that she's created, many of which you can access for free on her website. We'll be right back. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. What exactly is codependency and why do we encourage people to avoid falling into codependent behaviors? Well, codependency is, I consider it a disease of a, or disorder of a lost self. So people are out of touch with their real self. In fact, a codependent is someone who can't function from their innate self. Instead, they organize their thinking and their behavior around another person or process or substance. So in my definition, that would include someone who is addicted to substances or process like gambling, shopping, work. So you could see how prevalent codependency is. Can you talk a little bit about what that actually looks like? So I read that you equate codependency kind of has an underlying surface in all addictions, whether it's in relationships or addictions. Can you talk about what a codependent relationship looks like? Well, often there's high conflict because there's low self-esteem or shame underneath. One of the symptoms of codependency is denial and dysfunctional communication. So there's in denial of their needs and their feelings. And they have a hard time being authentic because they're not in touch with their real self. So they can't communicate what they really feel. They're afraid to be authentic and vulnerable. If they don't feel that they're lovable, they'll attract someone who's abusive or unavailable. So all these coalesce together Mm -hmm. to lead people to constantly blame and be defensive. They attack, they withdraw, they are with somebody who can't love them and they keep trying to get them to love them all the time while they don't feel lovable themselves. So there's layer upon layer of dysfunction and it leads to a lot of pain in relationships. So so it, it sounds like it's the person who's always kind of setting aside what they feel in the relationship to kind of meet their partner's needs because they don't feel good enough about well, themselves. Well, that's a stereotype. That's not necessarily oh. uh, someone could be very demanding of what they want too. Oh, okay. I mean, it could be the flip side. Uh, but they can't really, and then they try to control their partner. 
Okay, so so it can be conflict, and um, sometimes so the person who is demanding is that also then does that person still feel the same underlying shame and low self esteem? Does that still fuel their need to control the situation? Sure. Yes, and they may be demanding on someone who can't meet their needs, but they're still there, keep trying to get it like they didn't get it from a parent. They're still reenacting something from their past, and so control is one of the symptoms. So if you're you're trying to get, I mean, let me just say up front is that codependency exists on a continuum. So some people are totally unaware of their feelings, their needs, or really shame-ridden, and other people are more high-functioning, they're more in touch with their feelings, they can express themselves, but they're still codependent and there's other symptoms. So there's degrees, you know, depending on how much trauma, how much nurturing, how healthy your childhood was, uh, how functional your parents were, things like that. Thanks for clarifying that. And um, I think you're going to tell me that this is true, but um, are codependent relationships only for those who are lovers or can people have codependent relationships with like everybody in their life, with their friends, with their family members, with people that they work with? Some other authors think of codependency in terms of a relationship. I think Melody Beatty describes it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, My perspective is more starting with the individual it's a disorder of the self. So you take yourself to every relationship. Uh-huh. So, so there may be symptoms with your, in your work or with your children, like lack of boundaries, uh, not being assertive, things like that. But sometimes it's more prevalent with some people at home or at work or with a parent or with a child. So it may come out more in one area than another. But mm-hmm. I think there, there will be uh, indications of it in all relationships. Because it starts with the self, Mm -hmm. who you are. You might have more experience or training, let's say, on the job. So you know how to behave as a supervisor. And you've had a lot of practice of that. And it maybe doesn't threaten you as much because you have more confidence in that area versus in your home. So I've seen a lot of times an executive Mm -hmm. who is very competent and the top of the ladder at work and then is browbeaten by their spouse. Ah, I see. So they almost feel like they live a different life in Mm -hmm. in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's really pretty fascinating that that can happen. But as you said, a person is kind of always takes themselves with them. Yeah, they may be acting sort of in a role. Mm -hmm. Let's say they they might end up being uh, blaming and controlling at work, and it's okay because they're the boss. Yes. It might be hard to get along with. And then they're meek with their spouse. It's just the flip side, yes. but it's still dysfunctional behavior, dysfunctional communication. Yes. Now, Darlene, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got interested in focusing on codependency? I noticed that you have both a JD, so a law degree, and an MFT degree, so you're practicing marriage and family therapist up in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. So can you uh, tell us how you got interested in focusing on codependency, because you have quite a bit of literature written on the subject, and I know that you get out and speak a lot on this subject. Right. Well, I practiced law for about 20 years, and it was a manifestation of my codependency because that's not what I was meant to do. I was doing that to earn the respect of my parents Uh, and um, was unhappy, increasingly unhappy. mm -hmm. 
And then I went back to what I wanted to be, I think, from the time I was 12. Mm -hmm. And I read Freud's Interpretation of Dreams, and I thought, oh, now that is quite an accomplishment to be able to interpret dreams. That would be a terrific discovery. And I wanted to be a shrink, but took a detour. And then finally came back to being a therapist over 25 years ago. Uh And I've been working on my own codependency for decades and been in 12-step program. And uh, Hazleton came to me to write this book on conquering shame after the success of my first book, Codependency for Dummies. And actually, Wiley Publications sought me out to write this book. I had been blogging on the subject, and they asked me to write Codependency for Dummies. But I see a lot of individuals and couples who struggle with these issues. I think all therapists see couples that have codependency. It may not be the presenting symptom. Mm -hmm. They come in because of uh, love life problems or marital conflict or issues with their parents or their children or uh, individuation issues. But underneath, more often than not, it's issues of codependency and and shame underneath that. Yes, I think we do all see a lot of that. And um, thanks for sharing about your own codependency. I think it's inspirational that doesn't matter how long you're doing a career or doing something or being in a relationship, a person can always make those changes to turn their life around and go on the path that they want to go on and what they feel is going to be fulfilling for them because it's what they need rather than what they think they need to do, as you said, maybe to please their parents or to earn their love. Um, So thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you what you need. To succeed. Getting back into your work in the Codependent for Dummies book, you talk a lot about healing work, and I'm really interested in in that. And your book has some great information about a how a person can heal themselves from codependent behaviors. Could you tell us what are some of the things, a few little things that a person can do to start to heal themselves? Okay, well, I just want to say I don't think that you can totally heal by yourself Mm -hmm. because denial is such a big aspect, a component of uh, codependency that you can't really see objectively outside of your own ingrained beliefs, and many of those beliefs are false uh, and inaccurate and misperceptions of yourself and reality. And since shame plays such a big part of it, it's important to share with others, uh, with a therapist, with a group, and to learn to be authentic with others. However, um, doing a lot of self-healing exercises, building your awareness is a huge component because you can't heal what you don't know. So the first thing I would tell people to do is to become very aware of their inner critic. That's why I wrote this little ebook, 10 Steps to Self-Esteem, The Ultimate Guide to Stop Mm Self-Criticism, because that is what wrecks such havoc on people and creates such depression and problems is their own inner critic, and most people aren't aware. They think uh, they have good self-esteem, and they're always feeling like they have to do more and pushing themselves Mm -hmm. and achieve more. 
but underneath they feel like they're not enough and they're never doing enough or they're self-critical, they're perfectionistic. Those are symptoms mm-hmm. of codependency and low self-esteem. So those are some things that they can do. And I have a YouTube up, uh, three recovery exercises. Uh-huh. So those are some visualizations that people can utilize for self-love and self-confidence and relaxation. Because ultimately, people have to learn how to love themselves. So there's many components to healing. One is becoming more assertive. Mm-hmm. And I wrote an ebook, uh, How to Speak Your Mind, Become Assertive and Set Limits. Great. And your communication reflects your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And your self-esteem will determine how you communicate. Yes. And communication is learned. Dysfunctional communication is learned. So by learning assertiveness, it's like a new language, Mm -hmm. you can raise your self-esteem. So working on your communication, doing esteemable acts, things that make you feel good about yourself, taking reasonable risks, Mm -hmm. honoring commitments to yourself. So a lot of people undermine their own self-esteem when they break commitments to themselves, when they act in ways which are against their values, uh, when they say yes to something they don't want to do. Every day people have a choice to reinforce their real self, their healthy self, or their codependent self. Yes. So doing journaling mm-hmm. can be very healing to find out what you really think and want and need and review conversations and interactions at the end of the day in your journal and see if you are authentic. So then another component is healing your past. I have a lot, big chapter in both of my books on the components and the underpinnings of codependency and shame and how that made you who you were and sort of breaking that down and being able to see what was imposed on you and who you really are and separating that out. And then finally, learning to, when then healing trauma that's associated with your past. And I don't think you can do that alone. That's the part where you'd recommend somebody actually get some professional help with that to heal the past. But in the meantime, they could do esteemable acts. They can do some introspective work. But the healing of the past really is a good spot where a person can get some professional help. Right. A lot of people have come and say, I don't want to talk about the past. Uh, uh (laughs) You know, but you know, we don't need to be talking about the past. The past will intrude into the present because you're misperceiving reality. You're projecting a parent or some past experience onto a current situation. Mm-hmm. The past keeps intruding into the present, and you're not really living in the present even though you think you are. Research and experience has shown that people, for instance, even that were traumatized in the Vietnam War or before that, and they didn't receive treatment, they're still having as much PTSD as they did in the past without effective interventions. Mm -hmm. And then finally, learning to love ourselves because by and large, codependents didn't get really healthy nurturing. They didn't have role models. They aren't able to internalize that loving, accepting voice of a comforting parent. So their clueless is like when they're sad, they may just like cry alone and just feel worse and worse and worse. And it's reinforcing a pattern from their childhood rather than getting comfort from someone else or reaching out or even knowing how to talk to themselves in comforting ways. So I do have a blog called um, 10 Tips to Self-Love and Nurturing on my website. And in Codependency for Dummies, in the back of the book, there's a chapter called uh, 10 Daily Reminders and 10 uh, Ways to Love Yourself. 
So those are some helpful tools that you can use to remind yourself and learn ways to give yourself comfort and love. It sounds like this is your passion. You have so much material out there for people to access, to even start down the path of healing themselves through kind of checking out some of your work. You have now Codependency for Dummies, and you also have Conquering Shame and Codependency. Can you talk about the shame factor in a codependent relationship? Just a little introduction to that, if you could. Well, just think about how if you don't feel you deserve a compliment, you might deflect it. Or you might think that person is manipulating you. Mm. Or you might not even hear it. Mm -hmm. I've had situations where I'm sitting with a couple and let's say the husband compliments the wife and she hears a criticism. I ask him to repeat it twice. She still hears a criticism. So we won't perceive something that is not congruent with our internal experience Mm -hmm. or we'll think the person doesn't have good taste. Yes, right, that it couldn't possibly be. Yeah, right. So our dismissive, well, I really don't look that good today or something. So if you extrapolate that to a relationship and love, people will do the same thing with love, right? So someone who's loving to them, they will think, well, that person, you know, they don't really know me. They don't have good taste again. They're manipulating me. Or they'll just be bored, you know, and then try to win love from somebody who's not capable of love or who just doesn't love them. Mm -hmm. And then you have this pursuer-distancer relationship set up. And then because of shame, People are afraid to be authentic, so then they can't be intimate because intimacy requires vulnerable, authentic communication. I say that intimacy requires courage twice. Once to be honest with yourself, and then secondly, to be honest with someone else. It's a great way of putting it. And I think you've given us so much great information. And I love the idea of esteemable acts. I haven't actually heard it said that way, and I think people can relate to it that way, doing things that make themselves feel good, that can raise their self-esteem. Can you tell us where people can find you? Um, Certainly give us your website, let us know what kind of materials you have, and if you're teaching anywhere. Sure. Well, you can always find me via my name, if you Google my name, Darlene Lancer, L-A-N-C-E-R. I have a website devoted to codependency called What is Codependency? all written out one word, dot com. And on there, I blog monthly. You can subscribe to my blog by clicking the bookmark tab of your browser. There's recorded seminars and interviews on my seminar page. You can find links to my YouTube channel and links to my codependency recovery page on Facebook. Every day, I put up posts with insights and tips on codependency and self-esteem, dealing with abuse, etc. And there are links to a lot of articles, not just mine, uh, research, etc. And there's a wealth of information there. If you're on LinkedIn, you can find me there as well. And Twitter. And Twitter. (laughs) All the links are on my website. You've covered the bases on the internet there. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to add that people Mm -hmm. can join my mailing list and get a free copy of Uh, 14 Tips for Letting Go that's on my website. Thank you so much for being here. And yeah, just want to say thanks for the interview. Um, Thank you for asking me. It's always a pleasure to share my experience and knowledge with, with others.
You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Welcome back. That was a lot of information to take in. And I know when I'm presented with a lot of information in a short amount of time, I like to have a place where I can find it later and refer back to it. So for that reason, I've created articles to go along with each episode that go up on priceofbusiness.com every week. For this week's episode, you'll find more information and a list of helpful resources and books on codependency. This wraps up another episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast on priceofbusiness.com. As our database of resources grows each week, you'll find the episodes categorized by topic on coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcasts. Remember that a new episode launches each Tuesday. Next week, we've got the story of the Foundry Cup. That's a competition to foster new technology into the treatment of veterans with PTSD. It's such an interesting and humanitarian competition. You're really going to want to hear what they have going on. Then we've got best-selling author Amy Morin talking about her book on mentally strong people. We've also got Melanie Notkin with her book, Otherhood, and many other exciting topics. Please stick around and check us out. If you want to follow me between episodes, sign up for my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcasts. Remember now, if you sign up before July 4th, you will get a free download of my new Five Ways book. It's 100 Tips for Living a Happier, Healthier Life. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle at Dr. Colleen Mullen, and I'd love to hear from you there, and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. I want to give special thanks to Dr. B for handling all my audio and editing, and thanks to BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. I hope you have a great week, and if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care.